Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome on back to the One and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined as always by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And we are on the edge of the mini bubble, which has completed. So we're going to give you a little recap of that. Also, the NBA draft combine uh, is now virtual as opposed to being in person as it's been probably every year since the NBA draft started. Um, so Chris was able to, able to talk with some of the uh, NBA draft prospects. Uh, but first of all, Chris, how are you? What's going on? I'm sure that things are, you know, a little less busy with the Cavs not doing their, uh, with the Cavs ending their bubble or their mini bubble down in downtown Cleveland. Um, and I'm sure you've been watching the NBA finals, but yeah. otherwise, how are you? Buddy, I've been doing good. Um, was able to watch some football over the weekend. That was nice. Browns looked go. fun, exciting. So that was cool. Capped yes. off my night yesterday by watching the NBA Finals Game 3. Really good game. Um, better game than I expected it to be, given the circumstances that Miami's currently dealing with. So everything's good on my end. And you would think, yes, you would think that it would be um, a lot less busy for me this time of year. But it's actually not, <laughs> because the pre-draft process has begun in earnest Um NBA Combine is going on. That's going to be going on through uh, November. Um, it's about a month away. The Crazy. NBA draft is going to be here before we know it, bud. I know. It's unbelievable. And we, we've, been, we've been talking so much about the draft. Um, but I, <laughs> right. guess we could dive, I guess we could dive into it. Um, you know, we've been talking with the Cavaliers, the number five overall pick. Yeah. We've talked a lot about a bunch of the prospects. We've talked about a bunch of, you know, what they're going to do, what they're thinking. Um, what's going to go on ahead of them? Who did you speak with at the combine, and who are you going to get to speak with? And who are perhaps some of the uh, some of the you know teams and the Cavaliers going to speak with during this virtual process? Yeah, so that's the thing. I think it's important to note that when it comes to the NBA draft combine, every single year, Hayden, not everybody participates. Um, I think if you think back to last year, Darius Garland didn't participate, right? Some of the other top guys in the draft didn't participate um, because that's just the way that it usually goes. I was actually really surprised that LaMelo Ball, who many people would say is a clear-cut top three pick in this year's class, he's actually participating in the combine, which is strange for somebody like that. You know, those guys who usually get drafted that high, they don't participate in this sort of thing. Zion, Ja, you name it, R.J. Barrett. Um, 
But the NBA Draft Combine is a little bit different this year from the standpoint of what's allowed. Um, so I was talking with a source uh, that was very surprised by the turnout of the NBA Draft Combine. Like there was some fear uh, that all of the top guys were going to skip out and it was going to make it hard for the Cavs and other teams in the NBA um, to participate in virtual interviews with these guys, which obviously is a big deal. And then it was going to be harder for the Cavs and these other teams to have these players do individual on-court program, which is shooting drills, a quote-unquote pro-day video, agility testing, medicals, things along those lines. So I think this NBA combine is allowing these organizations to get a little more access to these guys, even though it's not what they're used to. It's something. It's helpful. LaMelo Ball is participating. Isaac Okoro is participating. And Denny Avdia also participating. And then Killian Hayes and Tyrese Halliburton, they are too. But but I don't think they're anywhere in the conversation for the Cavs at number five. So, you know, two guys that the Cavs could really be looking at at number five in Okoro and Avdia are participating in this particular pre-draft process. And the Cavs are hoping that they're going to be able to interview these guys. We talked with Avdia. We talked with LaMelo Ball. Um, I would say it was night and day when just comparing those two guys in an interview process. Um, I have a feeling that LaMelo is not going to come across great in his interviews with teams if he handles them the same way that he did his media availability. Now, that's only part of the equation, but you know the Cavs. Uh, and other teams around the NBA put a lot of stock in the interview process. So what was, I mean, what was he like in this in this you know interview process with you guys, or the, with the media? Very standoffish, very okay. short, not engaging, very little personality, dry. Um, it just again, he could be very, very different in a process with a team. Or maybe a team would be more understanding because they've been through, I don't know how many of these interviews with these young prospects and they're not as polished. Uh, but it, it reminded me, honestly, I, I, I texted somebody inside the Cavs organization after it was done and I said that was the worst interview I've ever conducted. That's just the way that it was. Um, really? Yes. Wow. It was that bad. I actually, I recorded it, you know, and I played it for my wife. Um, and she was like, oh, my God. It was that <laughs> kind of interview. Um, and again, he could be better with teams. He could be more engaging with teams because it's really a job interview for him rather than just fielding a bunch of questions from reporters. And he was inside a Detroit workout facility. He had just gotten done with a workout. So maybe that played into it as well. But um LaMelo is a polarizing guy to begin with, and I just think he needs to crush, like, every different aspect of this pre-draft process to eliminate the questions that already exist about him. Um, and they just raised more questions from my standpoint anyway. Very interesting in that regard, because obviously his dad is certainly not certainly not short or standoffish. I mean, he's probably the opposite, probably a little too over the top. Yeah. Um, and I guess I guess Lonzo, from what I've seen, is kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, not super 
not super talkative, but not super right. You know, standoffish either. Um, so you said Danny Abdia was was night and day. I mean, obviously yep. that bodes well for him. Yeah, I think so. And, and look, I mean, like the truth is, when it comes to those two guys in particular, and this isn't to say that Lamelo is a bad guy or some of these other prospects are bad guys, but when when these when these teams are evaluating them, right, and scouts are evaluating them, the word that has been thrown around with Avdia, with Akoro, and I guess uh, some of the other guys that could be in the range of five for the Cavs is like safer, um, okay, like more comforting, less red flags, I guess. And, and you don't want to say that they have character concerns because I think people hear that and they take that the wrong way. But like, quote unquote, cleaner prospects this year, you know, you got the work ethic that you want, the attitude that you want, um, the, 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 the controllables is what the Cavs usually call them. Intangibles is what other people usually call them. Um, I think those guys that check that box in this kind of draft, considering the uncertainty of it, are going to get pushed up the board. And, and some of the guys that, that have the red flags, the quote-unquote red flags, um, I, I think they won't make these organizations feel as safe or comforted about investing what they would have to in order to get them. That's my prediction for draft night. Like Avdia, I think it goes top five because of because of his character, because of his work ethic, because of his professionalism, because of the kind of teammate that he is. And there just aren't questions about that the way that there are with LaMelo, with James Wiseman. So the Cavaliers obviously have been a team that has really placed character pretty high. Oh, God, uh, yeah. So, I mean, so... But you you were the one, I mean, you have said that the Cavs are interested in LaMelo and would certainly take a look at him there at number five. Yeah. So say LaMelo does drop because of that and the Cavaliers yeah. are there at five. I mean, do they, I mean, is that, a, is there enough of a red flag for them to, to be like, well, we're going to pass? I don't think so. Um, again, they're going to be able to, well, they're hoping to have a conversation with him. So here's the hard thing. Yeah. Right. In this pre-draft process where we are with the NBA Combine, the teams um, all have to submit. This is what I'm told. They all have to submit a list of guys that they want to talk to, that they want to interview with. Um, But there's no guarantee that they get them. So I'm told that the Cavs have submitted the guys that they want to talk to in this draft Combine. And number one was LaMelo Ball. Uh, number two was Denny Avdia, and number three was Okoro. Uh, that's their order. Now, I don't know how the NBA is going to look at that. The NBA may say, look, sorry, you're picking at number five. Chances are LaMelo's not going to be there. We're not going to waste his time. We're going to focus on the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Golden State Warriors, and uh, maybe possibly the Charlotte Hornets. You know, like... The Cavs just don't have a lot of clarity of the guys that they're going to get to interview because in some ways it's like a lottery. Like they make submissions, they make their requests, and then they wait to hear back. And they order it the way that they prefer because they're hoping that they get the opportunity to talk to these guys. The other thing, Hayden, is like, let's say the Cavs don't get to talk to LaMelo in the draft combine, okay? Chances are they're not going to get to interview him before the draft. 
because after the combine, the agent is going to control the entire process. And the agent is probably going to focus on Minnesota and the New York Knicks, hoping that they'll trade up for LaMelo. And some of these other teams that are drafting higher than the Cavs, and they're going to prioritize them and prioritize the time of their client with those teams. So there's a chance that the Cavs don't get an opportunity to talk to LaMelo. Um, And they would have to just go based off of the intel that they already have, the film breakdowns that they have, and the in-person visit that Assistant General Manager Mike Ganzi made to Australia last September. You know, that's not a lot, obviously, but it's more information, and every bit of information helps. I think the way that LaMelo dropping to five, Hayden, would benefit the Cavs greatly is not that they would absolutely take him, although they would absolutely consider it. It's the fact that a team like the New York Knicks would want to trade up for him. Mm-hmm. The, the big takeaway that I had from LaMelo's availability on the Zoom call with all the media, he wants to play for the Knicks. That's the takeaway that I had. Um, okay. When he was asked specifically about the teams that he had talked to in this process, he either said, I don't know, which is a blatant lie, but whatever. Everybody can answer that the way that they want to. So that he either said, I don't know or no to every single team but one. The Knicks. The Knicks. The Knicks. So, obviously, that wasn't a coincidence. And um, he has a relationship with Leon Rose, who is now the lead executive in New York. He's basically running the show in New York. Uh, Leon was representing LaMelo before Leon got the job with the Knicks. So there's a comfort level there, right? And then the Knicks need a big star or a potential future star, and they need a point guard because they don't have one of those. And they're supposed to be interested in Chris Paul in a trade this offseason, all because they don't really have anybody to run their offense. It's not going to be R.J. Barrett. He's not a natural point guard. He's probably going to have to play some combo guard. So LaMelo makes sense to the Knicks for a lot of different reasons. And if he's there at five, all of a sudden trade conversations start to come between the Cavs and the Knicks. And the Knicks have an extra first round pick, 27 overall, plus they have number eight, plus they have some young players that could intrigue the Cavs. So to me, if he's there at five, the benefit for the Cavs isn't as much about Melo the player. It's more so about the kind of trade conversation that that could spark. And it's not just with the Knicks, but Washington at nine makes a whole lot of sense, too. That does make a lot of sense. I mean, the Cavaliers obviously, you know, at that, I mean, if the Knicks really wanted him and he's still there at five, the Cavs could probably make out pretty well in terms of draft picks or whatnot. Yeah, and they only dropped down three spots, so they would probably lose out on an opportunity of some of these guys. But let's say they look at Avdia, Vassell, and Okoro on the same tier and very, very close together in that tier. Well, all of a sudden, they drop back a few spots pick up a future asset or two, and still get one of those three guys for sure. Um, and that could be a home run night for the Cavs on draft night. But but I don't think my feeling of Mello and how he came across in his interview would would make the Cavs say, we're not going to draft this guy. Or if the Cavs don't get an opportunity to interview him and he does have that draft night fall that not a lot of people are predicting, Like, I don't think the Cavs would say, we're not going to take him because we didn't get an opportunity to interview him. And because, you know, the intel that we have is 
you know, there are some questions about him, the person, as much there are about him, the player. So what? How does this virtual this virtual combine continue? Like, what what are the next steps? And when, you know, anybody else you're going to talk to, and anybody else, anything like, are you watching these workouts? What is what is your vantage point here for this uh, combine? So our role is done. Uh, we got the few days of the media availability early on in the NBA draft combine, and now it's um, these players doing individual on court program. Um, and that, that consists of, like I said, testing, strength, agility, measurements, shooting drills, and they can, um, do video of workouts that they conduct like in an NBA team facility that is nearest the player's home or wherever that guy is, okay. uh, their agent or somebody can film that and then send that to a team. And the team can view that and that can work as a pro day because the in-person pro day, the in-person workout is probably not going to happen because of COVID restrictions. Right. Um, okay. So it's something, you know, I, I don't know how much teams are going to get from that, but it's something. And the next phase of this draft combine is going to start in mid-October. And that, that'll be the, 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 um, the interview process then? The interview process is going on right now. Um, it's going to go until mid-October, and then the next phase with the with the individual on-court program picks up after that. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So you're but so, everybody. So it's, it's a little bit like the NFL Combine. I mean, I've been to the last three or four. Right. Where it's like, um, you know, it's mostly mostly not for the media. You know, we get we get yeah. we talk to every prospect, or they they make every prospect available. Yes. They make the GMs and the coaches available once, and then that's pretty much it. Yes. And I'm told that the Cavs were on Zoom calls, you know, all day today, basically, and all day last week, because um, even though it's not a full list of guys that are participating in the NBA draft combine, um, it's a longer list than I think people expected. And there's a lot of conversations that that need to be had with a lot of these different guys, because, you know, for some of these teams, I won't say that the Cavs are in this equation, Hayden, but some of these teams, they usually start their scouting process um, like conference tournament week, and that didn't happen. And then they carry it over into March Madness, and that didn't happen either. So there are some teams that are playing a bit of catch-up in this process, and, and they're trying to get as much information as possible. Again, I don't think the Cavs are included in that. They did their homework early. They've been places where other teams and other executives haven't been, so they have a leg up. But some of these other teams are playing catch-up, and these Zoom interviews with these prospects that are participating in the combine are going on as we speak. Well, speaking of the Cavaliers, uh, they just ended their mini bubble. And, you know, not every, as you mentioned about the NFL or NBA combine, not everybody's participating. But certainly the Cavaliers had a large participation group, which was probably nice to see for them. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, what you guys, what you saw from the combine, what some of these guys said, um, you know, how they enjoy themselves and how they enjoyed being back on the court. And, you know, Colin Sexton being strong and Dylan <laughs> Windler coming back. Um, was there anything else that you gleaned from kind of the end of the mini bubble and how these guys finished it out or 
it was a kind of just the same old thing that, or not the same old thing, but kind of just the same in terms of just good to get out there, good to work, get work in and then move from there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it was, right? The bubble was great for them because they got a taste of hoops again, because they yeah. were able to come together as a team again, because they were able to do five on five for the first time since March. You know, J.B. Bickerstaff, from what I'm told, didn't want to overwhelm these guys in terms of, of what what he was putting on their plate during this time. It's not like he was saying, OK, this is going to be our offense. Let's install this. This is going to be our defense. Let's install this. And then let's try this. And then let's try that on defense. And then let's mix in this on offense. They didn't do that. And the other thing that I'm told is that they they didn't split it up into like starters or backups. They broke these guys into groups that they thought would be most competitive. Okay. So some of these lineup combinations that they wanted to try if they were invited to the NBA's restart, they weren't possible because you, you couldn't put all the good players on one side and then all the not as good players on the other side and get some kind of competition. Like that wouldn't have been fair. Well, so, you're also missing, I mean, you're, you're also missing some significant pieces. Oh, for sure. Like Drummond wasn't there. Tristan wasn't there. They had, what, two centers, basically? Yeah. Marquise Bolden, who they invited, and then Jordan Bell. You know, and Kevin Love, I'm told, left on Saturday, a few days before the bubble wrapped up. So Larry Nance Jr. had to play four. He wasn't able to experiment much, if at all, at the three. So, like, some of those things that the Cavs wanted if they were invited in the Disney restart just, just weren't possible. So it was mostly just get together, bond as a team, put some things on film for the coaching staff, see um, see the differences in some of their players and what they've been able to, to incorporate into their game and the, in their workout regimen over the last six months and see that in a different kind of environment. Um, so it was something, but but it's not like it was training camp. And it's not like it was, okay, we need this in order to get ready for the next step, the regular season or anything along those lines. Is there any update in regards to, you know, when this NBA season is going to start? I mean, the, <laughs> you know, the NBA finals are still ongoing. It's, yeah. you know, October. Um, they were talking about a Christmas start. I don't think that's going to nope. happen. So obviously, because, you know, the, the teams in the finals would have like a month off. So <laughs> what is the thought process and, and where do they stand on when this thing might start again? So nobody has full clarity at this point, Hayden. Um, how could you, right? Yeah, There's so no. many things that have to be figured out. Uh, Adam Silver said it recently. He said, <laughs> let's not talk about next season really until we finish this season. And I think right. that's a good point. Like, who knows what could happen? Everything looked good in the NFL until there was an outbreak for the Tennessee Titans. And then all of a sudden they have a random buy and the Pittsburgh Steelers have a random buy. So I'm not saying that that's going to happen in the NBA. Like it looks like there is going to be a champion crown, but, but who knows what could happen tomorrow? Who knows what could happen the day after that? Who knows what could happen in a week from now? So I think really it's get this season done make sure we can finish this season. And then once we do that, then we can reassess everything. And it's not like they're ignoring these questions. They've had many conversations, the league that is, on when next season is gonna start, on what they're going to do with the off season, on free agency, on all those things. But, but the finite details still have to be worked out. And here's the other thing, Hayden, 
they have to be agreed upon by the Players Association. Right. And obviously the Players Association is going to be like, hey, look, uh, we want a little bit of an offseason here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. hold on here. We we want to see if there's any way possible to get fans in the arena for 2020, 2021, because that's going to increase the revenue and our guys are going to be better compensated, whatever the case may be. There are a lot of discussions that need to take place on both sides. This is what I know for sure. Hayden, the league has a goal of getting fans in the stands next year. Yeah. Because it's best for everybody involved, especially when it comes to the revenue and the kind of revenue that they are going to lose, not just because of the pandemic, but because of the fractured relationship with China. So getting fans into the arena, even if not at full capacity, is going to help. There's no doubt about that. So the question is, can that happen? Uh, The other question is, like, how does that happen? And the other question is, like, what's the timing of that being possible? So I have heard recently, and and again, I just want to say this is speculation. A lot of people are speculating right now. A lot of people are trying to read the tea leaves. And a lot of people are just guessing at this point in time. But I would say it's informed guessing because there are a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes. And some of the people that I've been talking to have been privy to those conversations. Right. I've heard March. March? I've heard March. Okay. Um, now I've also heard January. So I think the goal, I think the goal is January and it would make sense because it gives you enough of an off season and it doesn't extend next season deep, deep, deep to prevent some of these guys maybe from participating in the Olympics. Right. Um, That's a big part of it is the Olympics, right? Yes, it is. But if January isn't possible for getting fans back into the arenas because the virus is still around, because there's not enough information about the virus, because there's not a vaccine or whatever other circumstance you want to talk about, then I I could see them trying to push it back a little bit more, trying to give themselves more time, a longer runway, um, and maybe even starting, like I said, in March. It wouldn't be ideal because that would take everybody out of the olympics you would think if there is going to be an olympics um but if that's what it takes in order for them to get fans back in the arenas then i think that's something that they would absolutely consider and i would say that that's a possibility well that's something i mean that's something in and of itself i mean the olympics were supposed to be but i mean you know some of these countries are still i mean we're obviously still struggling in the united states with it um some of the other countries are still like you know, I mean, I guess it's good that it's a bubble in and of itself for, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's a lot of people from a lot of different places who are going to be going yep. back to a lot of different places. So I don't know. I don't know. Yep. You know, we'll see what happens. Again, that's up to uh, – what's the guy's name? He's got, a, he's got an incredibly um, weird name. Adam Silver? <laughs> no, no, no. No, the Olympics guy. Oh. Oh, I don't know who the chair of the Olympics yes, is. Yes, you do. Uh, I'll have to think about it. Hold on. I can look it up. You can Google it. I have an, I have my computer on me too, but it's like it's like one it's it's like a really strange name. Uh what? That's not right. Thomas Bach? No. No. He's the president of the International Olympic Committee. 
Well, Who do you think? That, maybe the American one then. The American one. United States. Hold on. Chairman of the Olympics, Larry Probst. No. No. <laughs> when you see that's, it, you'll know. That's what. That's what came up on the Google search. Oh God! Now I'm gonna have to look it up. Now you look it up. You know All where right, you're I'll looking. Look I'll look it up. In the meantime, so while you're, while, yeah, while you're doing that, like Adam Silver addressed this because I think he understands that this could be a problem, and he even said before the NBA Finals they're not going to pause the 2020-2021 regular season or playoffs wherever the league is at that point in time so that these guys could leave their team and go play for Greg Popovich, Team USA, at the Olympics. So, like, LeBron wants to play in the Olympics, right? I would think Anthony Davis wants to play. Kevin Love wants to play, but he probably doesn't have to worry about a conflict at the playoffs coming up. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that affects Team USA, and if the Olympics go on, the kind of roster that Team USA can assemble. And if right. it's not going to be the top tier of guys because they're in the middle of the playoffs or at the end of the regular season, like, what are they going to do? Are they going to take college players? I don't know. It's going to be really, really difficult. But Adam Silver made made certain that he was not going to pause the next regular season just to let these guys play in the Olympics. Right. Okay, his name is Dick Pound. Oh, yes. Yes, that's correct. And he is the vice president <laughs> of um, the International Olympic Committee. I mean, he has a weird name. What's, what's name weird is... about the name Dick Pound? <laughs> like, uh, just uh, the, the last name Pound is like, what? <laughs> I've never heard the last name Pound in my life. I mean, this is a PG-13, this is a PG-13 um, ish. ish podcast. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. But like. The last name Pound, it's it's not like, I don't know. I just found it to be a strange name. <laughs> so the other thing to consider here when it comes to next off uh, next season, like, is there a way to play all 82 games? They could shorten it. I mean, I think the goal is all 82 because obviously money talks, right? Yeah. But you're right. I think they could shorten it to... 60, 66, 56, something in that ballpark. Yeah. I think I could see yeah. that happening. Yeah, I could see that happening too. I mean, heck, it's like, uh, you know, the baseball season was shortened by almost a third. Yeah. Um, or by two thirds, excuse me. And, you know, the basketball season, 66 would still be a pretty good number. Yes. So there's another thing being discussed too. And I think we touched on this a few podcasts ago, Hayden. There is a chance, well, Let's put it this way. There are some teams that are mentally preparing to start next season in a regional bubble. Okay. And they're probably going to be uh, three, four, maybe five different regional bubbles. You know, Vegas could be one. Chicago could be one. Yeah. Orlando could be one. And, you know, teams go there for a certain amount of time play a certain number of games and then they go to the next bubble and then they play the group of teams within that region or something along those lines. Right. Uh, but that, that would, sense. that would mean that the Cavs would play a lot of Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. Which would not be good for them. Well, we'll see how Milwaukee looks, but probably right. would not be good for them. Right. 
but you could potentially capitalize on Chicago, Detroit, maybe sure. New York. So I, I think the schedule would kind of reflect what region these teams are in and what bubble they go to first. And I, I don't know. Like, obviously, I think the NBA would want to avoid that. But there are teams mentally preparing for that possibility. And part of the reason why a number of executives went down to Disney, even if they weren't invited like Kobe Altman, was to take notes and see how it was done in Disney and what things, if they go that direction, they could incorporate so that it's successful for them too. As you mentioned, though, again, let's just finish the season. Yes. The Lakers are up 2-1. to one. Yes. LeBron's playing great. Dave, Anthony Davis is playing great. Jimmy Butler had a great game three. Yeah. I mean, do you think, you know, as we close this out here, do you think it's going to be just the next two LeBron's going to take over and they're going to win in five? Or can Jimmy Butler, you know, without Bam, without Goron, uh, maybe without Bam or without Goron, can he carry this team and can he get it done? I don't think so. I mean, yeah. my goodness, that's a lot to ask of somebody. Um like, I've looked at Jimmy Butler for a number of years, Hayden, as an all-NBA type player. But the thing that separates those guys from superstars is the ability to do what LeBron does on a nightly basis. Right. Jimmy's been really good in the playoffs. And he is the reason why Miami's in the finals, as opposed to being a seventh or eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, that essentially, while drafting really, really well and having a great culture and a great coaching staff, would have been stuck in mediocrity without the most important piece if Jimmy decides he doesn't want to trade there or he doesn't want to sign there to to negotiate a sign-in trade. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I like Jimmy, and he's played well in these playoffs. But even in the last series, he would have these kinds of games, not to this level where he's got a 40-point triple-double, but he would have these great games and then he would follow it up with not as great of a shooting night, not as great as an all-around performance, in a way kind of opening the door for the opponent to take one of these games. The consistency is what he needs. And it's a lot to ask somebody of his caliber when he's not LeBron, right? He's not LeBron, he's not KD. It's tough to ask somebody of his caliber to have to perform the way that he did last night 40-point triple-double-ish, going possession-for-possession with LeBron-ish. Man, that's a lot to ask of that kind of guy. And that's what it would take for Miami, though. As we saw last night, that's what it would take. And that's a lot to ask of him. Unless Bam can get back to the level that he was at previously in the playoffs. But even if he comes back, there's a difference, Hayden, between being available and being effective. Right. In the next in the next podcast, we should we should address Spolstra saying that Jimmy Butler was the best signing in Miami Heat history. <laughs> I, I think I, I mean, obviously, you can be a prisoner of the moment. You can just not be. Th- but like, come on. I know. Come on, Spo. You're better than that. Well, OK. So if if we defend Spo a little bit and there's no defense for this. No. But but if we try and get in his mind. He's saying it was, yes, because, you know, LeBron was kind of, you know, I I get it. I get what he's saying that, like, you know, LeBron, I mean, even if they had, you know, because they had D-Wade and Bosh. Yes, they already had D-Wade and they were going to get Chris Bosh. You know what I mean? Like, this Heat team has no chance without Jimmy. 
as good as the draft pick was of Bam, right? As good yes. as the draft pick was of Hero, as good as Dragic has been in this postseason, Jimmy is the one who makes it all work. He has yep. taken Miami from mediocre back end of the Eastern Conference playoff picture to NBA Finals. And that is a significant impact. And that is a significant signing. And without Jimmy... I don't know what the Heat's plan. Well, we know what the Heat plan would be. It would be go after Giannis in 2021. Right. Which they feel very well made. Oh, of course they're going to. You think Pat Riley's going to be like, nah, we don't need Giannis. We got Jimmy. We're good. You think Spo is going to be like, nah, we got Jimmy. We don't need Giannis. Yeah, no. So I guess in some ways, I, I sort of. If you squint a little bit, I sort of understand where Spo is coming squint from. squint a lot of it, but yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. You have to be like me when I have an eye exam at this point in time. Um, breaking news in the NFL, by the way. Uh, Bill O'Brien out as GM and coach of the Houston Texans. About time. Good Pretty big God. News there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just thought it was funny. And then we can, all, we can also address uh, the comments from... Kyrie Irving saying that finally oh he has an MFer who can hit a shot um, oh with my. him on this court, um, who continues to just say things that maybe he means, maybe he doesn't, but just cause a, an absurd amount of controversy. And then LeBron says something about AD about, you know, that finally <laughs> he has someone that they're not going to be jealous of each other. I mean, I live for the drama. I love the drama. <laughs> There should be, I need like, you know, I need like the last dance, but for the Cavs from 2015 through 29, I, I, or 28 or 2014 through 2018, I need a full four seasons. I need behind the scenes. I need Kyrie Irving, LeBron <laughs> just going at each other because apparently that relationship was never as either as good or as, you know, maybe just as rocky as I thought. So, um, excuse me, rockier than I thought. So. That's that's fascinating to watch those two kind of still bickering at each other all these years later. Well, you understand. But if you think about what Kyrie is saying, you understand what is at the root of the breakup between those two. It really yeah. gets to the core of it. Right. Exactly. exactly. There is a lot of jealousy um, on Kyrie's end when it comes to LeBron. There are a lot of things that Kyrie wants in his life and in his basketball career that LeBron has. Well, that's what happens when you're the greatest basketball player of all yes. time, in my opinion. So I know that. Kyrie Irving's not there yet, and unfortunately he's had some injuries, and I do believe he's one of the most talented offensive players I've ever seen in my life. But, you know, he's got to figure out a way to stay on the court and stay healthy, and then he can maybe get those things. But, I mean, he's had a pretty good successful career for himself, and maybe oh, this yeah. you know, maybe this Brooklyn chapter with KD will be where he, you know, wins a couple championships and earns, you know, earns some of that. We'll remember see. we talked about this, though, Hayden? Um, remember the whole I can't breathe thing, the T-shirts that the Cavs wore? What year yep. was that? I don't remember what oh, year man. that was. I think 14? It was like 14, yeah, probably. I think it was probably 14. So, yeah. so you're Kyrie Irving. That's your idea, right? Right, and and the guy who gets all the credit for that is not you. And again, <laughs> it may seem really, really small, and it's like, oh, nobody cares about who gets the credit. All that matters is you raise awareness to it. Uh, if you're somebody like Kyrie, and those things happen repeatedly, where the spotlight shines on that guy. Like, you're going to start taking offense to it in some ways. 
Yep. And it only continued. Yes, and the only way for you to feel like you could escape that was to leave that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, but it just hasn't worked out the way that you thought it would. Right, right. And so. again, that's just one example. Right. But but that's, for Kyrie, from his perspective, there were many examples like that, where he sure. wanted to be able to speak on some of these issues, right? He wanted to answer some of the questions that LeBron had the platform to answer. And none of us in the media were asking Kyrie the questions. We were asking LeBron those questions because... Right. In many ways, it mattered more what LeBron had to say about those things rather than Kyrie. It was nothing personal to Kyrie. And we felt like LeBron was really, really comfortable in that space answering those kinds of questions. And yeah, Kyrie was sitting there saying, like, ask me. I have thoughts on these things, too. I have an opinion on these things, too. Right. There were a lot of press conferences with LeBron where, you know, it was 20 minutes of life. <laughs> it was 20 minutes of life talk and not, no basketball and, yep. you know. And that's just the way he liked to go about things is he, you know, he liked to give his opinion. And I'm sure Kyrie was waiting for, waiting for some of those questions yes. and never got them. So, yes. so maybe he'll get them now in Brooklyn. I don't know. Maybe he's gotten enough. Maybe, maybe it'll start for him. We'll see. It's just it's it's going to continue to be a fun thing to watch. Uh, Chris, if there's anything else on your end, get it out now. Buddy, I don't think so. I think we covered um, it all. Well, I know you've had a long day, so I uh, hope you get some rest and hope things are well. And thank you, everybody, for joining the Wine and, Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Again, you can find Chris on subtext to get all of your Cavaliers insider information as we near the NBA draft in November. Um, you'll get inside analysis and what he's hearing from inside the Cavaliers organization, uh, from his sources and whatnot, and you'll get it before you see it on Twitter or anywhere else. So, again, go to uh, the subtext link in this post, and you can find it there. Um, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. The only way to get your questions into the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. And again, access to all of your Cavaliers insight and info from Chris Fedor. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Take care.